Chapter 29 of Catherine von Bora, Dr. Martin Luther's Wife by Armin Stein, translated by E. A. Endlich. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 29. Release. The situation of Wittenberg was not a healthy one. The vapors arising from the broad flats of the Elba were doubtless favorable to the growth of vegetation, but scarcely to the health of human beings. The moat surrounding the walls, and half filled with stagnant water, contributed its share to the noisome odors which poisoned the air. Several times after Luther's lifetime, the plague, beside other epidemics, had made fearful havoc among the citizens. It returned again in the summer of 1552 and raged with renewed fury. The angel of death was followed, as usual, by his most powerful ally, fear. Men had learned no lessons from experience, or they would have remembered that a calm temper is the most effective safeguard against the pestilence. And again, death reaped an abundant harvest. In the universal distress, charity was dead, and selfishness stood revealed in its most hideous form. Children forsook their dying parents. The gravediggers left the neglected corpses lying by the wayside. Superstition, with its senseless remedies, helped many and one to his death, while others, with fiendish malice, carried the seeds of the pestilence into uninfected houses. Many of the citizens sought safety in flight. The university was closed at the elector's command, professors and students repairing to Torgau. Catherine had learned from her husband calmly to commit herself to the Lord's care and to help wherever she was able. The opportunity was thus given her of heaping coals of fire upon the heads of many who had closed their hearts to her in the time of need. For five weeks the plague had raged in Wittenberg, still sparing Catherine's household. Then one of her lodgers was stricken down and died. She had no fear, at least not for herself, for her desire was to depart and be with Christ and with her beloved husband. Yet she was concerned for her children's sake and finally resolved to leave Wittenberg and go to Torgau. As usual, she lost no time in carrying out her decision. A few days later, a large canvas-covered wagon held at the door of the Luther house to carry away the widow and her children with their most necessary belongings. Catherine's eyes rested sadly upon the spot where she had enjoyed so much happiness during her husband's life and had experienced so much affliction since his death. The human heart is bound with a thousand cords to its earthly home, and not only the joys of the past, but its sorrows also exercise a magnetic power which makes parting a bitter trial. Catherine was very sad. Hot tears gushed from her eyes, and she stood hesitating at the open gate until the horses grew impatient and the driver urged her to make haste. Their road led them through the Elster Gate and past the garden, whose dense shrubbery recalled so many pleasant hours. Further on, at a little distance from the road, rose the summer house beside the fountain where her husband was wont to receive his friends and where they spent many hours together in earnest labor or in cheerful talk. It seemed to her like taking leave of her life as one by one the scenes of her departed happiness vanished from her sight. She sat lost in melancholy reverie and the children divining her thoughts feared to disturb her or to relieve the heaviness of their own hearts. Only the driver was insensible to their grief and swore lustily at his horses, who refused to settle to a quiet pace. Catherine roused herself at last, and saw to her dismay that the horses were being controlled with difficulty. As they passed through the outskirts of a village, a dog ran out and barked at them. This so excited the frightened animals that they became entirely unmanageable. They plunged and dashed furiously down the road. Catherine was in deadly fear. Scarcely conscious of herself, she suddenly rose from her seat and sprang from the wagon. She could not have chosen a more unfavorable spot, for by the roadside ran a stream of water with steep banks. In alighting, she struck against a stone and slipped into the water. With the help of a peasant who hurried to their assistance, the driver succeeded in quieting the horses. 
Catherine, wet to the skin and stunned by her fall, was unable to rise. She was lifted into the wagon and covered with warm wraps. Two hours later, they reached Torgau. Lodgings had been taken for them in a house near the convent church. The landlord, Caspar Grunwald by name, and a worthy man, had been a friend of Luther's. As the Savior said of Mary Magdalene, it might be said of him, he hath done what he could. It seemed like paying a debt of love to his departed friend when he could shelter the widow in his house, and he vied with her children in giving her the tenderest care. Catherine was at once put to bed. The fright and the chill had made her very weak and brought on a high fever. The physician who was called in shook his head and did all that his skill suggested to revive the sinking forces. It seemed as though all were concerned in repairing the world's neglect of the widow of the great man. She appreciated their efforts. Her lips overflowed with gratitude, and when her growing weakness deprived her of the power of speech, her eyes and the mute pressure of her hand conveyed her thanks. The loveliest roses bloomed upon her cheeks, and her skin was lily-white and transparently pure. She did not seem ill, and never in her life had she been fairer. A strange light shone in her eyes, and her manner was so gentle and tender that those who entered her presence seemed to feel a breath from the other world. Her thoughts were in heaven more than upon the earth. She often spoke of her husband, not only in her waking moments, but also in her dreams, and sometimes she spoke to him as though he were actually present. Winter came, with its snowflakes and its ice flowers, with its long nights and its holy calm of the Advent season. Come, thou Savior of the Gentiles. They sang in the churches and in the streets. Under the sick woman's window, the choir boys repeated their sacred strains. She listened to the sweet, joyous tones. Her cheeks flushed, her eyes glowed, and she softly sang, Come, thou Savior of the Gentiles. Then she folded her hands and inspired with sudden strength, she prayed, Lord, my Savior, thou standest at the door and wouldst enter in. O oh, come, thou beloved guest, whom my soul awaits with longing, for I desire to depart and to be with thee. Grant me a peaceful end and a blessed departure from this valley of tears. Let my poor children be committed to thy mercy, that none of them be lost, but that all may one day appear before thy throne and unite with us in praising thy glorious name. And, Lord, look down in mercy upon thy church, which the Pope and other ungodly men would fain rend in pieces, extinguishing the light of the gospel truth, which, by thy servant, the blessed Dr. Martin, thou didst kindle in our German land. Have mercy upon all who, for the gospel's sake, suffer shame and persecution, and give them strength boldly to confess their faith, that thy name may through them be glorified. I give thee thanks that thou didst regard the misery of our beloved elector and didst turn his captivity, that men may see how thou dost bring to honor those who have suffered for thy name's sake. Grant him a calm and peaceful old age, and finally take him home to thee, dear Lord. I thank thee for all the trials through which thou didst lead me and by which thou didst prepare me to behold thy glory. Thou hast never forsaken nor forgotten me. Thou hast evermore caused thy face to shine upon me. When I called upon thee, behold, now I grasp thy hand and say, as Jacob of old, Lord, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. I will cling to my Lord Jesus forever. Amen. Help me, dear Lord God. Amen. She had spoken in a low tone, pausing frequently. Now she lay exhausted. Her hands were clasped. Her eyes turned upward as though she were watching for the coming of the Lord. Those around her prayed softly. The hours passed. Night came. They lighted the lamp and kindled a fresh fire in the stove, for it was a bitter cold day. 
the 20th of December in the year 1552. As it struck nine, the mother turned to her children, whose faces had grown wan and pinched with watching and anxiety. Had you not better lie down and sleep, my dear children, she whispered. I too am tired. Then, assisted by Gretchen, she turned to the wall, closed her eyes, and breathed quietly. The children sat in silence by her bedside, watching their mother sleep, and fondly hoping that it might be the sleep of returning health. About an hour passed thus. Then Margaret rose, and softly creeping to the bed, she leaned over her mother. She listened. All was still. The patient sufferer was at home with her God. The End End of Chapter 29 End of Catherine von Bora, Dr. Martin Luther's Wife, by Armin Stein Translated by E. A. Enlick Recording by Dory Smith